Welcome to Game Changing Minds, brought to you by Oslo Business Forum in collaboration with Huawei. In this podcast, we will talk to game changers and hear their thoughts on topics like innovation, technology, leadership, and women in tech. My name is Siri Bashum. Today, I am so lucky that I have two people um, joining us who actually live and breed technology. It's the first time for both of you in uh, a podcast studio, so very brave, and thank you so much for coming. I know it's always a little bit sort of terrifying, but I think this will be uh, a really good conversation because the topic we're discussing is digital divide. And that's a very important topic. But first of all, I want to get to know the two of you a little bit better. Jonas Norman, VP Marketing Operations at Schneider Electric in Norway. I need to be a little bit curious. So you do, um, you have a master's in marketing from Bay and you then joined the army. And what took you to Microsoft and the tech industry after that? Well, thank you for asking. I've uh, always had a, a hung for technology, uh, innovation, uh, the fast pace, basically, that innovation brings to the table. And uh, in my DNA, it's, it's much about doing the best of what you have at your hands already. Uh, and that's that my very short career in the army and the naval officer school stands out as strange. It was sort of brought to the table by that DNA because after finishing school, well, most boys have to go to the army and I thought, well, how can I do the most of something I need to do regardless? Uh, and that brought me to the officer school, which brought a lot of leadership perspectives and, and uh, high-paced learning uh, into something I need to do regardless. Uh, and this was also the driving factor, uh, which after, uh, afterwards brought me uh, into Microsoft. I wanted to work in this high-paced environment. Through my studies, I did quite a bit of uh, weekend working and evening working and so on for Microsoft and other tech companies. Uh, and I learned to really appreciate the, the value these companies bring to the table, the professionalism and the, I would say, the, the inherent opportunity for a better future. Technology is not the salvation by any means, but still it's a, it's a huge helping factor uh, to bring a lot of positive effects into the world. And, uh, and as such, I, I actually strived quite hard. Uh, Microsoft is an attractive workplace uh, and I uh, put in my, my resume without success. Uh, I had to try to find the back door. So I signed up for something called Microsoft University. Uh, which is basically for the partners of Microsoft. Uh, and at the end of that road, I was so lucky to have three different offers of partners of Microsoft. So I picked up the phone and called the HR at Microsoft and said, well, in two days, I'm going to go to one of your partners and stay there for a few years and then come to you, or you can take me already. And the day after, luckily, it came an offer. So I was happy to join Microsoft. And then you spent actually 10 years, a full decade. Um, I spent 12 years at Google. Uh, how did you manage to walk out of the door? It's a, it was a difficult decision, I must admit. Uh, it's, it's been a great company, I would say, to start off your career. It's, it's highly professional, it's high paced, it's, it's very demanding, uh, but the pace of learning is, is just huge. And the empowerment uh, they give you to, to choose your own career, choose your own learning, uh, actually grow in responsibility is, uh, is next to none, I would say. But after 10 years, uh, having a very interesting career and lots of learnings, uh, 
sort of stuck at the 10 years decade feeling that she noticed and said, well, I, I either got to marry this company uh, and continue my career, which I very nicely could have done, or I need to do something completely different. Yeah. And then you ended up in Schneider Electric. Yeah. What do they do? It's it's a completely different company. It's a completely different industry, even. Uh, but when changing from from Microsoft to pursue different learnings, uh, I want to exactly do something very different. And I, I actually did quite a thorough search across different industries: banking, offshore, a lot of different areas, and and uh, had a few criteria on, on what I was looking for. Uh, and a few of those things and characteristics you will find in the tech industry, you will also find in in the industries of Schneider Electric. Uh, so I joined the company much out of, I would say, the emotional reasons rather than the uh, rational reasons, looking at the company from the outside. Well, what did huge. they do? Like, why, why was it emotional? Like, It was emotional because looking for a, a new opportunity, I wanted to do something which brings more than just money to shareholders, looking for, for more of doing something good, something right. And Schneider Electric is, is a huge company. It's about 130,000 employees worldwide, uh, an annual uh, turnover of about 28 billion euros. So it's, it's a big one. Uh, it's been around since 1836. Um, and it has the characteristics of an old industrial conglomerate, basically, coming from steel, uh, producing uh, cannons back in, in the 1850s. And today it has transitioned into a, a huge technology company, I would say, much down the path uh, from products uh, and, and resources into solutions and services, a very IT and, and software driven company. But it has it has some some really important values and it's, it's a purpose driven company, which is kind of modern, I would say, in this established industry of, of products and, and, and services. But I think, Jonas, we're not alone here today. Ah. We have other guests. So I know you could probably talk about uh, your company for for hours, and that's great to see that passion. But um, we also today have with us Niro Bardwai, and you are a people unit manager and technology lead at Societe, which is a part of Capgemini. Welcome. Thank you. And, but I love your title. So what do you do? Like, what does a, um, especially that part who says uh, people unit manager and technology, how does that come together? Yes, well, thank you for having me. Um, well, a people unit manager is uh, all about that. I have a department with a co-workers, employees, uh, where um, our goal is to inspire each other, to motivate them so they actually can look forward to go to work every day. So that is the people unit manager. And when it comes to the technology lead title, that is, um, well, I do belong to a company where we provide services and technology to our clients. So my job is also to provide services such as testing and quality to the clients in the society. That's very interesting. So you're kind of combining two quite different... Yes, I do, yeah. Uh, yeah, work-related uh, areas. Yeah. How has that been for you during this uh, last year? Well, uh, it's been 
quite challenging during the pandemic. It's been hard to inspire people. It's been hard to uh, motivate people so they can look forward to come to work. And uh, suddenly it was a huge change. We had to work remotely. Uh, and we still are working remotely, but we actually had quite success. So, so it's been challenging. I guess the most challenging things have been to work accordingly our values in the company, for example, such as team spirit uh, and to have fun at work. That has been challenging. So we had to be creative at work. We had digital Christmas party, you know, so where we had like, uh, we sent a three course meal to every co-workers, a bottle of wine to them, you know, just so we could involve people. And I also think that to being at home all the time and work remotely, it has also been challenging because we do tend to have longer days because you just check that extra email. Uh, so it's it has been longer days. Uh, so we have been, um, you know, telling all the employees and co-workers that please do find that balance at work. Yes, it, it's important to work, uh, but still, you know, switch off your computer. It is important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Keep on telling my, my uh, the team to sort of get up, go outside, get some fresh air, because that sort of you need to move around. Um, and I have I have this watch, um, and I think it is every sort of an hour and a half. It just tells me, Siri, you need to get up and move around, um, because you need you need that help. But um, I want to Nero, I want to just dig a little bit deeper into uh, you because you um, you come from having studied uh, STEM subjects in, in school. And I believe that one of the challenges that the tech industry is actually facing is how, how should we make sure to get a more diverse um, industry? And, and I think that one of the things we need to do is to get more sort of younger girls into STEM subjects. And, and it, I, all, I always get very interested when I meet uh, women that have studied, what made you study STEM and what was kind of the, the most positive experience you had with choosing that? Well, um, I didn't have a plan, to be honest, to study technology. Uh, I actually started to study psychology, uh, but I was quite boring. It wasn't, um, it didn't suit me. But then I took uh, a year where I thought, okay, what should I do? And I think that it started in... I got a Christmas present, which was a computer. But at that time, we didn't have the internet. So I had a computer, but I didn't know anything about internet. So that was a kind of interesting for me that, okay, how can I use this? And that was the reason that I actually started to study technology. So it was just suddenly. And, and I love the fact that you actually, you started something it didn't work out. And, and rather than sort of just staying on that path, you, you took time to to think about what what could you actually what other things could be interesting i think more people need to do that and don't think that when they've just started studying that that you're stuck on on that path so um thanks for sharing that so i've div invited uh, you to discuss um digital divide but before we do that because i always think it's important that we agree on what that is so you'll know what would you how would you describe uh, digital divide well, well, to me, digital digital is a broad term in its nature. So it's uh, so I think it's fair that we start to try to define it, scope it a little bit. 
But but when it comes to digital divide, that at its fundamental level, in, in my mind, it comes to those who have access to the internet, basically, uh, through devices, through internet coverage and so on, and hence has access to information. It's it's the information access, which is the pivotal point. It's not the broadband line. Uh, it's it would be books or, or a smartphone. So I, I think the digital divide is, is today's communication line and those who can communicate and have access to information and those who cannot for different reasons. And that's in my mind, a digital divide. When you say access to information, so when when I studied back in 1993, um, you have uh, a certain sort of access to a certain um, type of information. And I have a daughter who's is going out to study now, and I keep on telling her, do you know that you have access to more information than Bill Clinton had when he was the president of the United States? And what does that, like the the, the ability it gives you to have access... Do you agree with Jonas's uh, definition? Yes, yes, of course, I do agree. And it's actually quite interesting that, you know, we still have countries who don't have internet, but we still have countries where uh, countries uh, are struggling with the low speed connection. And we could see during the pandemic that it was difficult to spread information regarding COVID-19. So yes, so I do uh, agree on that. But I think what we need to do is to include everyone, you know, so they can have an impact. I I couldn't agree more. I I think it has to do with like internet infrastructures. Obviously, we need to, that's a society's uh, responsibility. Then there are all these applications and services that can make your lives easier. And I, that is what I love about this uh, industry is that we can actually make people's lives easier with technology. But it can also be more difficult. But I'm sure we can get back to that. So when I joined uh, tech industry back in 2007, I often referred to the global internet access numbers, which at that time was only 20% back in 2007. And now 14 years later, um, we actually see that the latest numbers are 64%. So that's a huge uh, increase. But still, if you turn that number around, there's 36% of the global population that does not have access. I'm interested in in your views on what does that do with our society? How can we live a sustainable or see a sustainable future if not everyone has access to information like we do? Jonas? I think you're raising a very critical pointer. Uh, And I think that you can even go one step further back in this value chain. in Schneider Electric, we, of course, deal with electrical distribution and, and smartness and buildings and so on. And we, we do measure quite thoroughly the access to energy. Uh, and if you look at electrical energy, which, which again powers the internet and access to internet, uh, there's still almost a billion people across the planet who don't have access to electrical uh, energy. And hence, they will not have uh, any use of a smartphone or computer or anything. And on top of that, there's there's a very large portion of people who live with very weak availability of electricity being turned off or being turned on, etc. So I think just reminding ourselves that despite the conditions we're used to in Norway, this is not the global standards. It's uh, definitely not the global standards because so we, st- we still see billions of people remain without, uh, I would say, human right yeah. to have access to to it, to the internet. And at the same time, we see that in a country like Norway with 
4.9% 4G connection. Do we have the same problem in Norway? Do we have a digital divide in Norway? We shouldn't have, right? Yeah, but I think we already see that in Norway as well. Even if we, uh, I mean, if we um, are quite advanced in technology, because we still have a generation in Norway who cannot access internet, who don't know how to use the smartphones, they cannot read the tax reports. So yes, we do have uh, people in Norway who don't have that access. Uh, So what we need, I mean, what we need to do here is to include everyone. Yeah, and, and not be blinded by by simple uh, statistics. I mean, ninety nine percent internet coverage doesn't mean that ninety nine percent of our population is enabled to actually yeah. use the technology, uh, utilize and get the benefits. Because in the end, it's about access to the information and the communication lines as such that the internet represents. And then comes the benefits from it. And unless you're able to sort of reap those benefits, then it's just a piece of infrastructure. If you don't go by train, you don't need any railways. So. Uh, yes, it's a prerequisite, but it doesn't necessarily yield the value we're looking for in this digital transformation and the digital future. So then we sit here and we work with technology. What is our responsibility? Well, I I think from my professional perspective, I think we need to do more usability testing where we have the where we include people so they can have an impact on all the requirements, uh, you know, where they can be a part of the planning and to make sure that we have a diversity in the teams because we do have people with special needs in the society who don't know how to use mobile apps, for example. So, yeah. And and at the same time, technology can be a very um, great way for people with disabilities to be part of society exactly. yeah so we see oh, so society has a, a, a role in making sure we have the infrastructure infrastructure and everything in place then the, the government has a role to make sure that learning platforms from an early age etc cetera, etc cetera. but what about us as human beings should is uh, should we be allowed to just step back and say do you know what i i don't want to use uh, these tools, I don't know how to use them. I, I don't care. Is th- is that okay? Is it society's responsibility to have all the options open, or can we see that ten years down the road you, you don't survive without internet access or the ability to use technology? It's a it's a complex question which raises in my mind lots of dualities uh, in this question. Technology and digital is is obviously. Uh, the solution, but it doesn't come without any any issues or problems. And I think there are different ways to address this at the society level, of course, as you mentioned, we need the infrastructure in place uh, to, to have to have the infrastructure to run on. At the company level, which we just discussed, I think diversity is, is a key word. And if you look at the leading tech companies of the world, who lead them? You will find male, Caucasian, 50 to 60 years old, and the companies are becoming fewer and fewer and bigger and bigger. So that doesn't really run with the whole uh, diversity perspectives of building platforms that are applicable for everyone in the usage scenarios we just discussed. Do you see that we lose? Do we lose women here? We've always talked about women not being interested in technology. And d- do you think that women will fall out of, of society here? Well, I I think it depends on the companies. The company need to have, well, the companies need to have a plan where inclusion and diversity 
you know, when it comes to women, uh, it's actually a part of the goals and plans in the company. And for example, in our company, uh, diversity and inclusion is our top priority from the top man- management to all the employees. So I, I guess it depends. So do we? Um, I, I like uh, real examples from the world. So in in uh, Schneider Electric, like what kind of initiatives do you do as a company to solve digital divide? Well, well, if you take the perspective of, of how we work with this internally, and you can always see, see the company as as a society with hundred k plus uh, employees. We launched back just two years ago now a, a platform and technology, AI technology called Open Talent Market. Uh, and it's, it's basically about using AI to connect talents with opportunities for growth, basically. Because we have so many talents, diverse talents across the world, and we have so many different business challenges and tasks at hand. But coupling those with the manual historical ways of doing it, calling people using LinkedIn and established internal networks and so on, just didn't work fast enough. Either the talents had moved on or the opportunity for project was already lost or served by someone else in a less efficient manner. So by by having AI actually mapping a basic set of metadata by individual uh, with the project descriptions or the task forces that we put in place, we could actually serve the needs of virtual team members across the world And this is all in addition to the day-to-day job as such. So people would search for the opportunities to evolve and and learn and do different things. And they would also get showcased the opportunities which were much most relevant for them. And I think over the last year, I think we freed up like 70,000 hours of these project hours from individuals who actively seek these unique projects to the open talent market. And this is by using technology, AI, uh, and seeing capabilities versus needs and matching across time zones, cultures and everything. And that that releases a lot of positive energy and value. So what, again, back to our responsibility as a tech industry. So it's been talked a lot about privacy, data. Uh, we, use, we use very difficult language often. Can you understand why some people are afraid of going online and, and using um the digital tools that are available to them? Yes, well, um, I think the the digital tools, uh, it changes the society. And if you, I can take my example that if I use something and it's difficult, then I could try it once more. But if I don't understand it either then, then I just don't do it. So, you know, it depends on how user-friendly the different tools are. And that, yeah, come back to to UX and and actually how it is something. Why do they make it so difficult, right? You go, oh my God, could could it could be simpler? And I I love using examples, especially I I was uh, so lucky. I spent three months in Silicon Valley about four years ago, and we're talking four years ago. And I love my coffee in the morning, and I opened up my Starbucks app, um, and I ordered my coffee. And then I walked to the restaurant that I ordered from. I could pass the line. Uh, I could pick up the coffee. It had my name on it and it was prepaid. I knew I would catch my bus. It was just it was just so smooth how payment was removed. It was just it just worked flawlessly. That was it was so simple. And then other times you come into um, and, and you're supposed to, especially now with people being unemployed and they go into um, NAV, for example, and it just, it is so difficult. 
and people give up. And, and that's when you encounter the digital divide in my mind, because technology is there to simplify, to increase our comfort, increase efficiency and make things better, basically. More efficient, but, but in some use cases, it's just not good enough to go. Uh, so despite the intention might be good, and, and you're gonna look back 10, 15 years uh, for the software at Microsoft with the error messages, error message, and then you got this time glass and error message 3.767. It didn't tell you anything in the end, just something doesn't work. Now the machine says, oops, something went wrong. I don't get much of that either, but at least I know something went wrong. So, so being able to provide code and an infrastructure and, and the UX that actually enables users to come through even things that aren't expected or supposed to happen is, is critical. The, the more complex we in the tech industry make the applications for ourselves and our users, the bigger the, the digital divide. And, and I think coming back to the societal responsibility, at least the public functions, we still need to allow for having paper-based and, and other ways of having these two-sided communication or interactions, or else we're gonna exclude not a majority, but a, a part of the population, a small part of the population, and that's uh, in the end, it is just not ethical. So, so if if we are to get everyone on board, which which you have underscored many times, I think it is critical that that we make it easy to use. Yeah, well, now, I mean, now we see that we have uh, different mobiles app, the way we consume media, the way we communicate, you have video streaming, you have artificial intelligence, you know, so these are the examples how, well, what kind of tools is actually coming, uh, and which already are in the market. So yes, I agree on, you know, what Yunas is saying that we can use whatever we would like to do, but it needs to be easy. It needs to be easy. Mm. And we, we see today a generation that goes to school. Technology should be, it should enable learning. And there are so many kids that have been home in homeschool and they sit and they've learned less in this year than they did in the previous, I, I don't know, three years, right? What has happened there? Is it that, that we have a digital divide in the teachers or is it, society that hasn't been able to to bring it forward and support or is it the kids themselves or the, the young people it's, it's interesting i've been spending quite a bit of time thinking about this through the pandemic because uh, the pandemic has in my mind uh, accelerated already existing trends or, or biases or, or factors you could say and and i think those who were already capable or even strong mature in the digital adoption they have come through this in a much better way because we're left with no other alternatives relatively they have come out much better whereas on the other hand those who are not as capable for certain reasons they have been struggling and they have maybe in themselves even been building up negative motivation for, for adoption of technology blocking their future success in, in further maturing their digital uh, journey so so I, I think the, the pandemic in many ways, of course, has, has raised awareness and, and understanding of technology and digital. On the other hand, I think both at an individual level, it will, it has accelerated both the winners and, and the losers, in lack of a better word, but also at the company level. If you look at, at the statistics now and see companies, we both are fortunate to work for big tech companies, so we were well prepared. We could send our staff home more or less overnight. We could continue our production and value creation. Whereas those smaller companies without this existing in infrastructure and investments in place, not only in technology, but competence and culture and everything, they have struggled because in lack of alternatives, 
they, they could not run anymore. So I think both at an organizational level and individual level, a pandemic has, has amplified underlying, uh, underlying chances of success, basically. But what we also need to understand is that people do adjust easily. And you, you, I mean, even in this pandemic, with some time, we actually get used to things and we get dependent on it because we do see the, I mean, we do see the value of it. But yes, um, I do agree in what you and Asin saying here. But I think that we human beings are, um, we do adjust quite easily. And that, that that is super important. I, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but I just have to have to say it. I, <laughs> I I run a team of, of operations, obviously, which is in my title, and in there you have logistics and warehouse operations, all this kind of physical uh, tasks still. And and when everyone was sent home, twelfth uh, of March last year, mm. if you ask me one week ahead of that date, Jonas, you have to send everyone home to home offices, to customer service center, everything, uh, basically in two to three days, and and that's your task. And no, you won't have any more resources to do it. I probably would have laughed or cried or both. Uh, but now looking back, I, I am truly amazed of how willing and how capable people were under these circumstances to basically move the full workplace to their home addresses somehow. But then it, it takes us back to, like I started uh, in the tech industry in 2007. I spent so much time talking to businesses about the the value of digital um, in organizations and and how you had to structure for it. And I must say, I, I okay, I'm very I'm very impatient as a person, but I I think it's taken too long. Um, and I work uh, quite a lot with the uh, uh, fintech environment, and they have this joke uh, going on these days um, that is. Uh, do you know who has driven the digital transformation? Is it the CEO, the CTO, the CFO, or the COO? But it's not, it's the C19. And I, I think that that takes us, I'm kind of landing on two very important things here. One is the, um, the responsibility that we as human beings have to learn. And then, but for everyone to learn, they need to learn it from somewhere. And that brings us back to our companies. Um, do we, at Huawei, we have Huawei University and, and we try to make that available to to the public as well because we, we believe that in order to, to utilize technology, you need to understand why it is such a good thing to, to utilize. But I'm kind of thinking, have we ended up in a, a place where we would not be able to survive without internet? Absolutely. There's no way back? No. There's I don't no think way. so either. Yeah, I agree. And then back to, I think I've asked this question before today. So how do we make sure that rich people don't get richer and poor people don't get poor? Because the situation we're in right now will, even though the young generation comes with, with uh, the ability to use technology, Technology will continue to develop and there will always be someone that don't want to be part of it. How, how do we do this as a society? Well, I think it's come back, it comes back on what we have discussed already that you need to include people. And I think the companies need to make sure that you have all the different representatives from the society who can be involved and where we can evolve the technology together and not alone. But are we, do you think we're able to do it? 
Well, I think we just have to do it. I mean, the companies need to have goals, you know, who, where we make sure and we pay attention to these things. What do you think, Jonas? I think that this is a huge discussion, but I, I think of, of digital as a currency, or, or you can think of digital as a basic resource, uh, like like money. You could, could you go back to a society without money? Well, theoretically, you can. You can go back to exchanging farm animals and so on. But but still, it's not not going to happen. You can't take away digital. But of course, it's, if something as digital is a resource, it has a value. And if it has a value, of course, it will be capitalized by someone or something over, over time. And this is already hitting our, uh, our, our world and it's already benefiting our world. If it wasn't for many of these huge internet companies, we wouldn't be where we are with technology. And we basically have the key to solving a lot of the world's biggest problems in our hands with technology. But the application, though, is a different question. You find certain regimes in which technology is not used for good won't mention names necessarily, but but you can control what access people have to information, which apps they're allowed to use. You can surveil your own population and give them credits according to behavior, etc. And and hence, technology in itself is neither good nor bad, but it can be used for good purposes and even for bad purposes, in lack of a better word. And I think, despite the huge fan I am of of open standards and and liberal liberal market systems and so on. As with all key resources, some sort of regulations, frameworks needs to be in place to ensure the greater good. Or else we're back to your question, how can we reassure ourselves that a few people won't take this currency, this resource for themselves to a to, to, to a large extent, basically? Maybe I'm becoming a bit philosophical, but no, but, but it is it is a it is a big, big question. And and I think that we have been um, looking at this as giving people access to internet as the solution to to improve uh, through technology. But it is a bigger problem than that. When we've done that, then we need to look at uh, a lot of other elements. Um, and, and that's what we're, we're touching upon. Because what I also think that uh, I think we will have a situation where we don't know where the boundaries are. We don't know where the limits are. So you, you know, where will technology stop? We, we don't know that today. Uh, and if you think about 20 years ago, we're just building building on what, what we actually had and started with. Yeah, so I think it won't stop at all. No, there, there's no end station for technology as such. That's a good but point, I, yeah. I, I think there's still there's some waves that you can sort of classify technology into. And, and looking at the usage and adoption of, of technology, there is some sort of pendulum analogy here something new comes to the market say facebook everyone goes on facebook and and we learn how to behave on social media it's it's basically teaches us what's okay and what's not okay uh, to post on social media and you find different specialized kinds of, of social media for different areas of interest and or sharing private non-private etc i think this is the key also going forward but being respectful that we as as humans we're new to this we might love technology as the three of us in this room do but but still we need to accept the fact that we are novices in our field despite because the pace of technology is is immensely fast and and we need to allow ourselves some time to stop reflect learn and then move on in the usage and application of certain technologies at the nearest point also make sure we get everyone on board if if you leave people behind it's not only not right and ethical, it's going to be a societal issue at some point in time. The cost of maintaining double systems, not having everyone accessing these communications, this interaction ways, it's, uh, it's going to be very costly for us. 
in addition to the unfairness part, of course. I, I couldn't agree more, but I would like to end off um, on, a, on a more positive or like the, I don't know, um, it's going to be costful anyway, I think. Um, but I want to end on, on, a, on a positive note. Uh, your favorite technological service or app, the, the thing you cannot live without, Nero. The thing I cannot live without. Well, maybe not smartphone, it's, but it, it's not that I cannot live without it, but I'm very much dependent on it. I need it to do my daily routines and, you know, yeah, so it's, a, yeah. The smartphone, yeah. Yeah, I, I talk so. about it as the 78th organ. Because my daughter, she has it in her hand all the time and I'm kind of, it's stuck. I'm going to go, can we drag that out of your hand, please? But uh, I've given up. <laughs> uh, what about uh, you, Jonas? I, I think the smartphone is, is not only going to be impossible to drag out, but at some point it's going to be partly integrated uh, in sort of small sensors or something because it's it's already integrated in our behavior and, and the, what we feel. We, I, I mean, I feel naked without it. So so it's, it's the access point to the world uh, and it's not an app of course, but it is an access point to more or less everything around us. And it, it fulfills both the rational needs for job, for, for productivity, but also the emotional needs of seeing, being seen and, and, and being recognized and so on through all these different psychological uh, factors you find in social media, etc. But don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm super positive about technology. I think that all of us share this passion and, and see it as, uh, as the only way forward. But but some sort of, of control and, and allowing ourselves to stop and reflect on, on utilization, if needed, the need of, uh, of regulating something from a societal perspective. And back to your point, Siri, having also this individual accountability perspective. It's not the job of everyone else to me, make me uh, mature digitally. It's, it's in the end, it's, it's my own, ta own task, at least in a country like Norway, where most of the prerequisites are in place for most of the population. We need to step up to the challenge. We need to embrace, we need to reflect, and we need to make this technology bring value to us. I, I couldn't agree more. Mm. And I think we will not solve this big uh, challenge or task that we have in front of us uh, during uh, this podcast. But it's been a true pleasure to have you both here today. And I think as the first timers, you did absolutely brilliant. So thank you for coming and thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. It's been very interesting. You have just listened to an episode of Game Changing Minds, a podcast brought to you by Oslo Business Forum in collaboration with Huawei. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share the podcast if you find it valuable and be sure to listen to our next episode if you want to discover more about game changers and what we can learn from them.